So today I want to start a new little sermon series called Changed People, Change People. Changed people, change people. Because when we're changed, when something fundamentally changes in us, we start to live differently. And that change, as we live in the community and the relationships that we're called to, should change people. Changed people, changed people. Change, let me say it again, there's a lot of change, a lot of people in that four words, right? Changed people, change people. And so over the next few weeks, I want to look at some characters in Scripture who were changed by Jesus so that they could change people for Jesus. I remember when I first became a Christian and I first said yes to Jesus, I had all this excitement in me because Jesus made the most sense out of anything. And in fact, I was so convinced of the truth of Jesus and so falling in love with Jesus that I believed that there was nothing that Jesus couldn't change. And so I focused on a lot of my early life trying to change people. My motivation was honest. My pursuits were somewhat holy. But after running into lots of brick walls, I realized that before Jesus wanted to change people, he had to do his changing work in me. I put the cart before the horse. I was so interested on the external that I'd forgotten about the internal. I wanted to change people before I'd become a changed person. Does that make sense? And so often in our life and so often in our churches, we do not see the fruit of change in our society and in our relationships and in our stuff because we haven't invited Jesus to change us. Changed people change people. But we're not going to change people for Jesus until we've been changed by Jesus. Does that make sense? Jesus longs to change this world. He is the only one that can. There's not a problem he can't solve, whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual or social. Jesus is the answer. But until Jesus has changed us, then it gets real hard for us to be involved in this process of changing people. Does that make sense? It's almost like so often we say, yes, I've been changed by Jesus, but there's no change in the fruit around us. And so we need to ask the question, have I been changed by Jesus? Because if I've been a changed person, I can help him and be used by him in this purpose of changing people. A lot of change, a lot of people, I get it, but you tracking with me? All right. 
So let's jump in and look at this lady. You'll read her story in John chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, turn there. If you want to pull out your phone, do that. If you need to open another tab on the computer, do that. If you're watching through the app, the scripture will be right there. First of all, let's talk about this lady whose name we do not know. But was a lady that was changed by Jesus and then went to change people. Let's start with how she was changed. First of all, John 4 says this, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and went to Galilee. That's such a crucial little sentence. Because what was happening was that Jesus and the Pharisees or at least the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus in a little competition. Who can baptize the most people? Honestly, if Jesus had stayed and competed in that competition, he'd probably won because he's Jesus. But Jesus wasn't interested in a competition that he won. He was most interested in changing people. And so we read straight away that Jesus left Judea and started heading for Galilee. He wasn't interested in competition. He was interested in changing people. As you think a lot of the cultural wars that we're engaged in today, a lot of those are all about a competition. Who's right? Who can get the most power? Who can get the most votes? Jesus isn't interested in winning a competition. Jesus is interested in changing people. And so he leaves heading for Galilee. Now, Galilee was up here. Judea was down here. Right in the middle between those two cities was Samaria. Now, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with them. And most people, most Jews, would go from Judea down here all the way outside of Samaria up and then back across to get to Galilee. Because the Samaritans, we want nothing to do with them. But Jesus isn't interested in competition, and he's not really interested in our prejudice as well. So he goes straight from Judea to Galilee through Samaria, in the very place that he shouldn't have been. We read that when he gets there, right in the middle of Samaria, it's the heat of the day, he's sitting by the well because he's so weary. It says in verse 6 that he was worn out from the journey. I think there's so something so comforting in this, right? We expect Jesus to have this abundant energy. And some of us live our lives like we have this abundant energy. But if Jesus got worn out and was weary, we need to be okay with us feeling weary sometimes too. And so he stops, and he does what weary people do. He rests, and he has some water. In fact, he's so weary, perhaps, that he can't draw the water from the well on his own. But fortunately, there's a lady there who can help him. The bad news is, there's a lady there who can help him. <laughs> because she's a Samaritan. And Jews shouldn't be talking with Samaritans. And secondly... She's a lady. And rabbis shouldn't have been talking with ladies. But Jesus is weary. 
And Jesus cares for people. And Jesus isn't interested in a competition, and he's not interested in prejudice. So he says, ma'am, can you help me? Can you get me a drink? Can you draw me some water? This lady is quite shocked by this. She says, uh, verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman? <laughs> don't you know that Jews don't associate with Samaritans? I always love it when people try to tell Jesus something, like, don't you know? <laughs> you know, and I confess that many of my prayers are like that too. <laughs> Look, did you know about this? <laughs> Got some news for you. Let me tell you the latest gossip, God. <laughs> Jesus pulls it back and he confronts her with the first truth, first of four truths that are going to transform her and change her life. She says, lady, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it was who was asking for a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. A water that never runs out. A water that satisfies. A water that changes and fills and refreshes. What Jesus is saying here is, lady... You come up here every day and you come at this time of day because of what you've done in your past. But there is a hope that you could change and you wouldn't have to come up here at this time of day. He's confronting her with this truth about hope. And when we are confronted with hope, something should change in us, right? Living water. It, it gets her attention. It, it grabs her. Where do I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She goes on and on and on. And Jesus says, let's stay on point. There's a living water. And if you drink it, you will never be thirsty again. There is a very real hope. And as she's confronted with the truth of hope, excuse me, in verse 15, she says, sir, I want it. Give it to me. She hears the truth of hope. Jesus' response is a little bit stranger than perhaps we'd expect. But he wants to bring her to another truth. He says, go tell your husband and then come back here. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. I know that. In fact, I know enough about your story to know that you're hurting. To know that there's some stuff and there's some pain and there's some difficulty and there's some ugliness in your story that you wanted to conceal for me. You're correct, Jesus said, verse 17, for you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. So I guess what you say is true, but it's not the, the whole truth. I imagine as she heard this, the woman's demeanor changed it dropped. That shame that she was trying to hide was put front and center. And part of us say, Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you humiliate this lady? Jesus wasn't, wasn't trying to humiliate her at all. And I don't think he did. I think he was saying, let's speak the truth about what's really happening. Let's define reality. There is the truth of hope for all of us, but there's also the truth of shame and sin for all of us. 
Let's not forget that. Let's not grab the hope without understanding and realizing our real need for it. This lady had her stuff. We've got our stuff. But in the most loving way, in the most caring way, as the story develops, Jesus is saying, if you want to change, if you want to know the truth, then we've got to address and understand and own and seek forgiveness for the sin in our lives and the shame that it's caused. It's the truth of hope that changes her. It's the truth of her own sin that changes her. She does what most of us do when we're confronted with something we don't want to hear. She changes the subject. Sir, I see that you're a prophet. That's her transitional statement to deflect and try to go in another direction. Our fathers worshiped here on the mountain, but you Jews say that there is a place to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus follows her rabbit trail a little bit because he wants to confront her with another truth, not just the truth of hope, not just the truth of her sin and shame, but the the truth of salvation. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's those kind of people that God wants to worship Him because God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So for the first time, right after acknowledging the truth about her sin and her shame, He acknowledges the truth about her salvation. There is one coming... Who can bridge divides? There is one coming who can bring people together. There is one coming who can unite sinners before God as God dwells with them because he saves them from their sin. The woman 25 said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Maybe when he comes, he'll make sense of all this. I think under that statement is a little tone that's like, get me out of here. But then Jesus says this fourth truth that changes everything. He said, I, I am, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And she's confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. So here's this lady. She's got a past. She's got a story. She's in need of change. She knows it because she's changed husbands five times. She knows pain. She knows life is not working. But Jesus changes her with the truth of hope, the truth of her sin, the truth of salvation, and the truth of who he is. It was every one of those truths that changed her. If we want to be changed, then we have to understand those truths. There is hope for our current condition. There is sin and shame in our life that needs to be dealt with. 
There is salvation from it, and that salvation is found in the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus says, if you know the truth, what? The truth will set you free. And in this moment, all of these truths about her life and her past and her future and her need collide and she's changed. She's changed by the truth. The truth changes her. Let let me ask you today, has that truth changed you, the truth of hope, the truth of your sin, the truth of salvation, the truth of Jesus. It's those truths and only those truths that have the power to change the human heart, to change our lives, to change our trajectory, to change our relationships. It's the truth of Jesus that changes everything. So often in our life, we raise our hands and we say, I got it. We say, I know that. And I'm good and I'm happy. And let me go back to my life knowing that truth. Perhaps prophetically knowing that about us, Jesus says, you've been changed by truth. But now let me challenge you to take that truth and use it to change others, to transform others. So the story continues, verse 27. Just then the disciples arrived back and they were amazed, not the good kind of amazed, that Jesus was talking with a Samaritan woman, yet no one said anything. No one said, what do you want or what are you talking with her about? Man, this is an awkward moment, right? You you ever been in one of these places? It's like, no, you say something because this is off. (laughs) You, You say something, you address the problem. And here, no one does. And I think John records the quietness in this awkward moment of the disciples because he wants to teach the disciples something about their role. And I think he wants to say to the disciples, if you've really been changed by truth, then you need to get used to walking into awkward situations and loving, and caring, and bringing, and having compassion, because that's what the people of God do. We are changed people who change people. So the disciples are silent, but the woman has been changed. Verse 28, then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people. It's so significant that John says, She left her water jar. Because that represented everything about her unchanged life. It was about the undignified job she had that she got because she'd been living an undignified life. She was leaving behind having to go to the well in the heat of the day. Because that, as an outcast, was what she had to do 
She knew that Jesus had changed her and given her a new identity and made her someone new. And she wasn't going to need this water jar anymore. So she leaves it with Jesus. Man, I wonder what our water jar is. I can tell you what it was for me when I met Jesus. When I met Jesus, one of the big idols in my life, the place where I uh, defined my identity, as silly as it seemed, was in the sport of soccer. That's probably not a surprise to many of you. (laughs) But I had all the jerseys and all the stuff. My room was painted. My money went that direction. Because I fell in love with Jesus, I had to leave some of that soccer behind. Didn't do it. I wished it, but probably I should have just thrown some of my jerseys away because that that was my water jar, right? She says, I'm leaving something that used to be part of me behind because I'm going to a new life. (laughs) So she left the water jar. She went into town and she told the people, again, there's just some changed stuff happening here. She went into town. She walked boldly into town. It had been a long time since she had boldly walked into the middle of town because she was a lady who lived on the edges of town because her sin had put her there, right? And she went to tell the people. And again, the people probably didn't want to be told much, not from her anyway. Now again, five husbands, the guy she's with at the moment isn't her her husband. You can kind of picture some of the stuff that she was up up to. She walks into town in the middle of the people and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. My guess is when she said that, there's a lot of other men in the community who are taking a step backwards. Because maybe they know about him. And maybe they know that her sin and her shame was caused by them. But changed people change people, right? And she says, come meet this guy. Maybe he could be the Messiah. Now, there's a lot of guys who are stepping back because they're aware of their sin and the shame. But you know why I think that everybody came with her? It wasn't because she was an eloquent speaker. It wasn't because she had it together. It wasn't because she was guilting them. That's not what guilt does. They followed her because they saw that the very thing that she had been shamed of had lost its sting. People had shamed her, but Jesus had looked at her sin and loved her and forgiven her. And in loving her and forgiving her, her shame lost its power. When we are changed by God, that which we held on to is different. Last week, I met with a pastor of big church in town. First time I met him, we had a nice little lunch. I said, so tell me your story. I'm experiencing, expecting, you know, this quite little, uh, you know, went to school, went to this church, up here, down here, da, 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 this is what I do now. You know, just this kind of nice little interchange. 
And he told me about how he met his wife, and he told me about his family, and he told me about his schooling and his churching. And then he said, then it's when I realized I had a problem with porn that cost me everything. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you, you know, I was expecting this nice little tidy box, you know, because we're still trying to impress each other. But he put his sin right on the table, front and center, and I'm like, why are you doing that? That's not normal. Until I realized that he'd confessed his sin and acknowledged his sin and been forgiven of his sin and loved beyond his sin by God. Shame loses its power when we realize that we are loved and when we receive the forgiveness that God has for us, right? I think it was that change in this lady that caused the whole town to go and see Jesus. She was changed by truth. And immediately... Once she was changed, she went to challenge those in her town to be transformed too. As she goes, Jesus is kind of um, stuck with these, um, uh, how should we say, low EQ disciples. And he wants to teach them that if they're going to follow him, they have a responsibility to bring transformation as well. In order to hide the awkwardness, the disciple says, Rabbi, you need to eat something. That's always a good way to get out of those awkward moments, right? Let's not talk about it. Let's just go eat and talk about something less important. But Jesus says, no, 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 we need to talk about this. Let me tell you, I find my satisfaction, I find my sustenance in doing the work that I was sent here to do. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish that work. And again, the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, just give it a break. Just eat something. We got your food. He says, no, 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 you got to get this. If you're going to be changed people, then you have to be involved in the work of changing people. He says, look around you. You know about the harvest. You know that it takes four months from when the, the seed is planted until it harvests. That's what the, the four months is about in verse 35. He says, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are white unto harvest. The reaper is already re receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. What Jesus is saying is this process of encouraging and uh, being open to God to use you to transform people is now. You go and do your thing. And if they become seeds that can be reaped later, that's great. But if you go and you invite people to know God and to receive his love and forgiveness and they respond now, that's great. But that's because someone else sowed some seeds. He says, look, the fields are white unto harvest. Now, there's a problem uh, agriculturally in this verse. You want to know what it is? The fields, when they're ready for harvest, aren't white. They're golden. That's the color of the grain. So what does Jesus mean 
when he says the fields are white unto harvest, probably what's happening here is that Jesus looks out of the corner of his eye and he sees the Samaritans approaching. And you know what the Samaritans were famous for wearing? White. Jesus is saying the fields are white to harvest. He says, I'm not talking about a competition where we get stuff. I'm not talking about building wealth and power and status and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about reaching people because it's all about people. And if you're going to follow me and be changed by the truth of me, then you need to give your life to serve people. This lady was changed by truth. The next step, once we're changed by truth, is that we're challenged to bring transformation. The lady got it. She did it straight away. The disciples needed a bit of push. Thirdly, after being changed by the truth and challenged towards transformation, we see what it is that's going to change people. 39, now many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of what the woman said. If you've got a real Bible with you, underline that. Many people were changed because of what she testified, not just because of what she said, but because they saw a change in her life. She was a model that changed people, changed people. She said, let me tell you my story. He met me on the mountain. He told me everything that I'd ever done. And you guys know my story, yet he loved me anyway. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked Jesus to stay with them. Now, now before, it had been Jesus taking the initiative, right? Saying, I'm going to enter into your world. I'm going to be the one who, who breaks down that barrier. But I love this verse. That as Jesus knocks the first barrier down, them on the other side of it says, it's not so bad over there. We're going to knock our barrier down as well. Jesus came to them and they extended the welcome and they said, hey, why don't you stay a little bit? Why don't you come and be with us? Tell us what you know, who you are. Tell us your story. I'm involved in this wonderful but rather bizarre relationship with the head of the atheist organization in Central Florida. And he and I found out about each other because a few years ago, his organization tried to sue the church when we were meeting at the school. They thought it was all kinds of issues. And I remember that, that hurt me deeply. I had some not so choice words to describe this guy. And I certainly had some images in my head of who he was. I was a Jew on Jesus' side, and he was a Samaritan. And we were introduced by a mutual friend 
He said, let me take you guys out for lunch. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm good. I've got enough friends. I don't need any more. But my friend who follows Jesus encouraged me too. And I sat with this guy. And I told him about my hurt and some of the struggle. And we started to build relationship. And we become friends and we, we, we have lunch about once a month. We believe radically different things. But I want to reflect Jesus to him because I've been changed. And if I really believe what I believe about who I believe, then I've got a responsibility to share that change with him. And so he invited me with him to come and be a guest at his conference. I said, sure. And then he invited me to come on the platform with him and to talk about our friendship and how we believe radically different things, but we're still finding this this overlap in relationship. And I thought, man, I made the first move and I didn't want to. (laughs) He's just raised the stakes. So I got to say yes. So about three weeks from now, I'm going to be on a platform at an atheist conference. Don't, I don't even know how that sounds. In fact, it is what it is. It's weird, right? But Jesus invited the Samaritans in because he wanted to love them. Then the Samaritan says, we see what you're doing. We want to reciprocate. Come and stay at our home. And maybe Jesus had a little bit of a problem staying there. I don't know, but he did. And as he stayed there and as he built relationship, as that woman was present in their midst, some incredible things happened. Two things. So when the Samaritans came to him, they said, stay to us. He stayed there two more days. Verse 41, the first thing. Many more believed because of what Jesus said. The Samaritan community, which was made up of the outcasts and the have-nots, and they don't want to be near those people because they got the cooties and they're not like me, started to change because Jesus stepped into their world and loved them. The woman was changed. She went to the village and some were changed. Jesus comes in the midst of this community and many more believe, verse 41. But verse 42 is also a second picture of change as well. It feels a little harsh at first, but it's not. It's something we should rejoice in. The people of the town said this. They told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Not, we don't believe you anymore. Not, we don't get you anymore. Not we think you're crazy. We don't believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Sometimes this this change process breaks down, right? Because people are looking to us. And our faith is in the change of another 
But the gospel writer John is so clear. The goal is to help people believe for themselves. It wasn't that the woman was worthless again. It was that she could go somewhere else now because the work of God had done its place that people believed in their own right. Changed people. Changed people. Changed people. Changed people. She was changed by truth, right? Truth in hope. Truth in her sin. That she didn't try to hide because she couldn't. Truth in salvation. Truth in Jesus. And once she was changed, she went back to that place of pain where she was an outcast. And she lived an honest, open life where people saw that her sin had been forgiven and her shame had been destroyed. And so the Samaritans said, wow, I want what she's got. I need what she has. And as Jesus met with them, Jesus turned their world upside down as well. Why? Because changed people change people. Changed people change people.